And now it is time for We Are Just Christians, live from Sabona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. morning. Welcome to We Are Just Christians. It's good to be with you today. We really appreciate you tuning into the show. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour or so. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show, and I'll give you that information how to get a hold of us here in just a moment. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And Gary Jones, my partner, how you doing, Gary? I'm doing good this morning, Mike. We're we're really glad that Gary's the other elder here. We're really glad we can be with you and bring you this show about being just a Christian and getting rid of uh, human denominations and and traditions and things like that that get in the way of what the Bible teaches. So sometimes this show is about contrasting what the Bible says in its plain text with what the traditions of men have put on it, and not only the traditions of men religiously, but as we're seeing more and more in recent years, the traditions of our secular society that rear their head against what God says. And so we talk about both those things. We talk about religious differences, and we talk about the culture issues that are going on in our society and try to give you some insight into what the scriptures actually say. We believe that you can understand the scriptures. It doesn't take some special knowledge to do that. It doesn't even take a special education, per se, to do that. But the scriptures were written for men to understand. They can be understood. It isn't always easy, but we do believe in a plain and simple reading of the text uh, and then and not reading it through some philosophical lens like Calvinism or something, a plain reading of the text, and then we can come to understand what it says. Maybe it's time for uh, my favorite passage, John 12, 48. Uh, I I think you should uh, mark this in your Bible if you like to do. In John 12, 48, Jesus speaks and he says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And that's really where we're coming from. Right. And, and the, and the um, point of that is that that's why we emphasize what the Bible says so much, what the scriptures say, and why we point you to that. So when you call in and ask a question or make a comment, uh, we're going to try to point to the scriptures with an answer or a comment or response to that that you can read for yourself and then you can think about what it says and, and because you need to know and do what the scriptures say, and so do we. So let me give you the numbers, how you can reach us here on We Are Just Christians. It is uh, the number to reach us is the usual call-in number for WPSL, <clears throat> 772 Gary is laughing because I hesitated because I half the time give my cell phone number there. 772 <laughs> And then you can reach us by text. We both have a text number, very similar to each other. My text is 772-260-6120, And then Gary's is 772-260-6220. You can reach us by text during the show. We'll do our best to answer or respond either privately or on the air. Or, and you can reach us during the week with the text messages. If you would uh, like to do that, uh, you certainly are, are, we're certainly uh, glad to receive your text message with a comment or a question about the show or criticism. We don't mind. So we don't mind you calling up if you disagree with us at all. 
uh, we will make a pledge to you that we're not going to mistreat you or we're not baiting you in some way and then going to, you know, make fun of you or something like that. We want to have a discussion if we possibly can or be able to respond in the right way. And then we're going to give you the last word, especially if we disagree. We'll give you the last word to say what you want to say uh, while you're on the air. So you can call us 772-340-1590 or 1590. Well, Gary, we got it. Uh, I'm sorry I had to be gone last week. Uh, I, it was my 70th birthday last Sunday. And so friends and members of the church here plan a surprise birthday party Sunday night and a huge crowd, a lot of fun. And, and my main gift that my family gave me was um, had been arranged ahead of time was to send me to the Miami Dolphins football game in Miami last week against the Cleveland Browns. I guess because of me being a preacher, I've never been to a one o'clock Sunday game, at least that I can recall, even after having lived down that way for years when I first started preaching. And so they had arranged the ticket and they arranged for someone to preach for me and someone we did a pre-recorded radio show uh, that I didn't know was for that purpose. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought just in case one of us got sick, which we usually do have something like that there for the station to use in case one of us is sick. And so it was all arranged. And I went to church in Hollywood at a church where I used to preach when I was a young man, some 45 years ago or more. And uh, we went there and then we went to the game, had a great time. And uh, just was a great, great day and helped me get over the um, mental crisis of being 70 years old. Gary. So I feel a little <laughs> better this week. I might be able to might be able to make it after all from well, being this old. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, I always said about being 40. You know, <clears throat> it's not the end of the world when you're 40, but you can see it from. Yeah, there. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I, and I've been thinking a lot about about the fact that, you know, I don't have that many years left one where even if I. Even if things go well, I don't have that many more years left to do what I want to do. So it alters your plans. you got to think about that. And not that I dread dying. It's just that I don't really want to die. I want to stay here with my family and friends. And I want to do the work that I can do as long as I can. So in any event, that's why we didn't have a live show last week. But we certainly appreciate you listening if you did. And uh, we, we had a show about, uh, I think the recording was about the old law of Moses being done away with and we living us living under the law of Christ and the position I, of the Old Testament in our right, study basically was what the, what is the Old Testament about and why why we believe in in reading it and teaching it but not following it as a law so that's what the show was about maybe you have a comment or question about that if you remember we'd be glad to hear about that or something else we do have a text that I don't want to talk about Gary uh, in just a moment here, we, a text message came in here just before we came on the air from a listener that I want to deal with. But anyway, that's uh, just catching up on what's going on. And we appreciate you uh, listening to the show last week and also today. Well, now the question came in, Gary. Um, what denomination were the pilgrims and what Bible did they use? Now, I suppose it's because it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving week, my favorite holiday. It's one of the few holidays that people think that they don't think is religious, but it's the one only one the Bible talks about in the sense of us giving continual Thanksgiving, both as a both as nations and as individuals. Uh, and yet we spend most of our time thinking about Christmas and Easter, Easter, of which the Bible says nothing as a holiday. But anyway. Um, what denomination were the pilgrims and what Bible did they use? I'm not sure all the details of what the uh, texture had in mind, but I would say this, 
that fundamentally, now we're going to get more detail, but the fundamental thing to know is that the pilgrims were Protestants. They were really extreme Protestants. They were protesting not only the Catholic Church, but even the Church of England. They were Puritan separatists. And um, so this country, the United States, was founded not as a Catholic country, not as an unreligious country, but as a Protestant country. And that's very obvious when it when you're sort of even partly unbiased mind looks at our legal system and the founding documents and the principles that have made America a distinctive nation. They are Protestant principles. They're not Catholic principles, nor are they pure secular principles. Even though those <clears throat> principles were written down over 100 years later from the time they came. Right. But they 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 were there because these the people that founded our country had had Calvinist to a large degree and Protestant ideas. Now, what it means to be a Puritan separatist, uh, a, as you know, the in, in the uh, 1500s, the Catholic Church was splintered by Martin Luther. There had been some rising movements in the centuries before that against the authority of Rome as the single the single known religion at that time. I think there's always been independent Christians. But in any event, Martin Luther led a, re- led a reformation. His intention was to reform the Catholic Church, not to start a new church. Uh, those reform movements often historically among humans don't go well because the existing power refuses to be reformed, and it forces those who want the reform to leave. And that's what happened. Martin Luther and his followers were forced out he even against his will, they started a new church, the Lutheran Church, named after named him. after him, which he opposed himself. But in any event, that's what happened. And then there was a splinter from that, kind of a side shoot in Switzerland. John Calvin and Zwingli, I forgot, I forgot Zwingli's first name, Carl or Johann or something. But anyway, uh, Zwingli and Calvin started uh, another church in. Calvinistic church in Switzerland, which was much more even much more extreme and anti-Catholic than the Lutheran church. The Lutheran church at that time and to a large degree today is very, very close. If you were a Muslim and you'd never been to a Christian assembly and you went to a Catholic church and you went to a Lutheran church, you wouldn't see, you, a, lot you wouldn't see a lot of difference, at least at that time and historically. And then the Church of England broke off from those two under under um, Henry because he didn't want to be told he couldn't marry and divorce at will. And so he began what are no, what's known as the Church of England or the Anglican Church. In the United States, the Anglican Church are Episcopalians. And um, <clears throat> that they're very similar, have the same structure, very similar to the Catholic Church also. Well, the the... Puritans were trying to purify, that's where the name comes from, they were trying to purify the Church of England of Roman Catholic influences. They thought the Anglicans were still too close to the Catholicism to be right and true. They wanted to purify the the Anglican Church of its Catholic influences, and they kind of formed another movement, a separatist movement, and that was not well received. They were very, they were persecuted under uh, James 
King James of the King James Bible, and they fled to the Netherlands. And that's why the first pilgrims actually sailed from the Netherlands. They were Englishmen who sailed from the Netherlands because they had been driven out of England by the Anglican Church. And so then they came to America on the Mayflower and so forth and so on. I found out recently that some of my family on my mother's side came to the United States in the early 1600s to, well, 1630s, I think, to the May Massachusetts Bay Colony, Colony right there in that whole area. So they came very early from England. <clears throat> but anyway, that's the religion of the of the pilgrims. They were extreme Calvinist, anti-Catholic, anti-Anglican people, had a very strict view of the Bible, strict view of morality. They believed in what they would say following exactly these principles purely in a puritanical way. And they, the Bible that they used was not the King James Bible. That'd be your first guess because it was written around 1611. I, I was together. looking at the timing because I thought... This very close. But, they, but King James was one of the ones who was persecuting them. So they, they were using the Geneva Bible, an English predecessor to... Well, Geneva, it's in English... But Geneva, of course, is, a, is in Switzerland, where they had, where some of their original thought came from to form these separatists, these Calvinists, uh, and that's where it was. The, the, the Puritans were also Calvinists as opposed to Anglican, and so they um, they used the Geneva Bible, came over with them on the Mayflower, and so forth. Now that's that's my understanding of where it was. We have a caller, but let me just finish what we're saying here. So this is this uh, influence in early American history of the, the work ethic of working hard to prove that you're of the elect, the Calvinist principles of predestination. That would form a little bit of interest, a little bit of thought about how American history was going to unfold, that we were predestined, for example, to occupy this entire continent. Lots of religious connections, the religious principles of courts and laws and the equality of men and the, and the reigning in of monarchs and rulers, putting a hedge about monarchy and rulers, all came from these pilgrim separatists. And they that was, like you say, in another hundred years into the 1750s and 70s, it was all solidified into a, a political way of thinking as well as just a religious way of thinking. Of course, this, the pilgrims were also political in their 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 religion covered their whole life. They weren't making this somehow phony separation that we do with religion and politics in that they didn't they didn't think that they thought that the laws of the land should reflect their morality, what was true and right and good. In a, and they followed that morality in their personal lives as well as in the in their civil lives, civic lives. Well, uh, any you got a quick comment before we go to the phones? Gary, no. OK, right. uh, Jerry, are you there? Uh, yes, Mike. It's so interesting what you're talking about today, and I don't want to uh, break your chain of thought, but I was wondering about the word benevolent, uh, meaning show, uh, showing kindness towards other people, and uh, the dove uh, always meaning uh, peace. And could that be the key to, uh, uh, you know, the dove uh, always representing peace? And uh, I know there is other tenses of the word 
uh, benevolent, benevolence. Uh, uh, but I just, that's what I got out of Webster's Dictionary, your, uh, to show kindness towards others. And if you have time, if you could just, uh, uh, speak about that briefly. And, uh, thank you for taking my call, Mike. Okay, Jerry, let me ask you, why do you connect the dove with this? Oh, he must, Jerry must be. I was, I was, said, well, I was thinking about the dove descending as, or the spirit descending as a dove at Jesus' baptism. Also, the, the use of the dove in the Noah's Ark story. That's the first one that came to my mind uh-huh. is, is the, is this, um, is the idea of the Noah, the Noah's Ark that, you know, was sent yeah. out early on. And uh, I don't know exactly that that the storm was over, things were good again. I don't know. Now then, you have the spirit descends as a dove. And, as a and, dove, not is not is a dove, but as, as a dove. and that's the confusion people get. Yep. The, and the dove descends slowly and well, settles in. The dove settles is, down. Dove is dove very swoop in like a hawk. Well, the dove is a very graceful flight bird right. too. It's. Uh, it, it can it can soar as well as others, but but basically the descent would have been very smooth and very uh, direct, if you will, without going here or there. Uh, that seems to be the way doves fly, or at least that's my understanding. Yeah, it's 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 smooth, it's graceful, it's uh, it it also is one that doesn't just swoop down like a hawk. It's coming in slowly and gracefully. And landing where it wants to land, and sitting where it wants to sit. Um, the when you look up uh, now, look. This is not the way that this is only a partial way to do um, a word study. But when you look up this word um, benevolence in the Bible, you're only you're only going to find it that. At least in a few translations that I have available in front of me, in the King James version, in First Corinthians chapter seven, where it's referring to sexual relations, and it says, "Let the husband render to his wife due benevolence." That's the King James, and likewise also the wife to the husband. So in the, in the New American Standard, it would say, or New King James, "Let the husband render the, to his wife." The affection do her. So this word affection or benevolence is eunoia, which means uh, benevolence or goodwill. It means a good mind, good heartedness. And it comes to mean it's kind of a not a euphemism. Euphemisms try to blunt it. It's just another way of saying to wish one well to be well disposed of a peaceable spirit. So this is the idea of benevolence. And it's not used in the Bible very much. Euphemistically, it's used, it says, a conjugal duty of sexual relations. So, but it does carry this idea of goodwill toward the other person. It's interesting that the interlinear that I have here doesn't show it as in the original Greek. It uses the word benevolence in the interlinear, but it doesn't show a a Greek. It's more like affection is the word, isn't it? Or, or, And it uses the word, and then you have the word do, uh, which is Ophelia, which is a sum that's owed, fi- figurative, an obligation or a debt. So he's saying, I went off Jerry's subject, but he's saying in 1 Corinthians 7 
that sexual relations to your mate is something that you owe it's your owed. mate. It's a sum it's owed. It's a sum or a debt owed, owed to your mate, and it's to be done with goodwill. Yeah, it's it, benevolence. But that benevolence has no Greek correspondence, as yeah. far as I can tell from the interlinear. But it's it's listed in the from the King. It's listed in this in the New King James as uh, eunoia, and it's that's a compound of to be well-minded, as it were, towards someone. It depends on the interlinear that you're using and what translation they're getting that from. But but anyway, you don't see the word. My point is you don't see the word translated benevolence very much. And yet in Christian teaching and circles, the idea of benevolence is a very important idea. It's one of those things that we've made up another word for it. And it's it's basically showing goodwill toward others has an and once again, euphemistically meaning not a direct meaning of being well-minded or showing goodwill, it usually has to do with money and charitable uh, dealings with people. Okay. By the way, John just texted and Noah also sent a raven. So, yeah, he <laughs> yes, sent a dove yeah. and a raven. Yes, that's true. He so actually sent the raven first. Raven. It might change the story a little bit. So we, before we, we get carried away with these symbols, and then we lose, we lose altogether what it originally meant. Like the rainbow now stands for homosexual love, and the rainbow was a sign of God's judgment in the Bible. <laughs> Ironically mm-hmm. enough, it's a sign of God's judgment, uh, <laughs> but now it's used for homosexual love. But anyway, we changed well, the meaning. Actually, actually, I have. Let, let me let me let me do this real quick. Um, here's something, uh, and, and I kind of think this is God's comment on climate change, and it's related to that. God's it, comment it, on climate change. Oh, yeah. Okay, uh, right. Yeah. Genesis 8, 21, 22. Right. And then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy everything as I have done while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night shall not cease. So there it is. It's not like it's going to die yeah. off because of that, right? It's not going to Cl- die climate off. Climate change is not what's going to destroy the world. So in any event, um, we the point I was trying to make was— Sorry I changed the subject. No, that's okay. What The point I'm trying to make about the benevolence is although we don't see the word used in the Bible, uh, and I don't know that there's a connection with the dove of, of um, the Holy Spirit looking like a dove descending as a dove or descend, not even looking like as descending as a dove. I think the as a dove part is not on so much the appearance as on the manner of its descent. It's, it's an adverbial phrase describing the manner of the descent, if I'm looking at that text correctly. So um, not just the fact that they had wings. Yet we always see a picture of a dove, and the dove becomes a religious symbol which is probably a misuse of this picture, this verse in its fundamental form. Don't get carried away by artistic renderings of things and (laughs) artistic symbols that are uh, shown. Read what the text says, get it straight. It's the, it's a metaphor, a metaphor, not literal. And it's describing the manner of descent, not the actual appearance of the object being as such. So in any event, though, I'm not sure of the connection of the dove of the Holy Spirit descending 
how that relates to benevolence, Jerry. I don't know that there's a connection, except that we do view doves as a symbol of peace or of tranquility because of their gentleness. They are not aggressive birds, per se, uh, although I'll tell you, almost all birds are very picky about who they're around, and they all have their pecking orders, and they can be very aggressive among themselves. But... <clears throat> It's coming. being a bird expert. Let me I, just I will, tell you, I will, I will but they look. they are gentle compared to owls and ravens and vultures and things like that. Yes, and and I will agree that in the secular world they have become a symbol of peace. Yes, that's how we use it. That's how we use it. And benevolence, though, in the, is a very important concept as far as Christ is concerned about doing our alm, doing alms to men, and giving generously and all giving openly and that to whatever measure we give to others will be given back to us from the very beginning you could see very quickly that early christians were known even among the pagans for being extremely generous even though they themselves were poor we have whole two whole chapters in the bible at least right together in second corinthians 8 and 9 about paul urging the corinthian church to be like some of the other churches and be very generous with their gifts to help uh, poor Christians in Judea who were starving. Okay, and and so they uh, this is this is because God, God loves a cheerful giver. Whoever sows sparingly shall reap sparingly. Right. So there's all these principles about how Christians ought to be generous and oh, should be generous. By the way, I checked the New King James, the American Standard, the English Standard Version. Does not use the word benevolence at all. Period. Oh, see, that's that's what I found, uh, and I don't have maybe as many versions of right there in front of me as you do, but I didn't find it any. In, in, it's only in the in King English. James. It's only in the King James, as far as I can tell. I haven't checked. Let's see. See how many times it's used there, but I only yeah. found it once there. And yeah, it was only used one time in First Corinthians seven three. Uh, I've got one other one, Bible and Basic English. Let me see if I can check that one. Real That's quick. not a major translation. No, at all, it's though. not. But I I went through the American <clears throat> Standard, the New King James, the English Standard Version. Those are the three that I turn to most. Right. And, so uh, so benevolence is a lot like this word charity, which of course, interestingly enough, the word charity comes from the Greek word for grace, um, and it comes to mean then love. In the King James, they translated it instead of the word agape or love. In 1 Corinthians 13, charity suffereth long and is kind and so forth. But the word charity refers to an attitude of, of goodness or of generosity or giving to, giving to someone who is more needy than yourself. And then benevolence is the same way. It initially describes an attitude that you're supposed to have. And then the attitude of good-mindedness, literally in Greek for the word good-mindedness, leads to you doing something actively, which is to give benevolence or to be benevolent. And that has to do it in the way we use in English to be giving, to give somebody what they need uh, out, of, out of what you have. And so that's the act of being, that's a fundamental thing about being a Christian. Benevolence is a fundamental characteristic of, of uh, being a Christian as opposed to some other things that we might think are tolerance. I'm not sure tolerance is a fundamental Christian characteristic in the way we view it today, but generosity is. 
And of course, so many of the world's problems, so many personal problems that we deal with in people, Gary, uh, could be solved in the big picture way by thanksgiving and generosity. If people would learn to give thanks every day, not and not just to give, give God a list of demands of what they want every day, try to bring that into actuality. But if they would just just give thanks in spite in spite of their difficulties, and then be generous in spite of their difficulties, their lives would change. Their life, their attitude, everything about their their life and happiness would change if they would become more generous. And so I don't know what I just did, but somehow I'm transcribing what I'm saying onto my iPhone. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I'm taking a text here. I must have hit the wrong hit the wrong thing. But in any event, um, John texted back in. Here's something interesting. John texted in what Christian symbols are depicted on gravestones. So they go and look at for archaeologists, look at this. There's hands in prayer, angels, doves, water, roses, the sun, anchors, ships, and lilies. It's interesting that doves, and he's correct about that, because if you look at, uh, go to a cemetery, you will see a lot of doves on gravestones. And people are uh, doing that maybe because they're saying, I had the Holy Spirit in my life. Or they're just saying this person is gentle as a dove. I, I'm not sure. You don't always know what that is that they're that they're saying by that, but that you do find that symbol. So, <clears throat> in any event, um, I don't. Th- John says I, this shows that a literal dove probably did not land on his shoulder. I guess he's speaking of Peter there <clears throat> in uh, Acts chapter two. No, I don't believe those are literal doves at all, nor do I believe that their tongues are at Jesus' baptism. You saw the same thing. I don't think that there were literal fi- there was literal fire there descending on them as descended as tongues of fire. Okay? So in any event, you have those symbols. All right. Well, it's an interesting thing. I I do think that we would be um I read something the other day, Gary. I just want to rephrase what I start. I'm going to rephrase what I was starting to say. Well, I think we get back to that idea of, of benevolence and being gentle. I think gentle. I, I see gentle used a lot more in terms of uh, recommendations of a characteristic of a Christian, uh, rather uh, in particular. Well, that has as its basic it's a lot of it the, the good good mindedness toward other people. Right. Gentle is how you treat other people. And so if you have a good mind toward them, a good good attitude, and you think well of other people, you're going to see see that. Uh, well, it's used in conjunction with the words that we're looking for. It says in, in, in James 3, 17, he says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. There's the whole general right. gist of the ideas there. Right. So the whole focus of being a Christian is thinking of other people, right? And 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 then giving what you have. And uh, by the way, someone named Judy, uh, my wife, texted in. Probably this means on the gravestones. I think that they were carried away on the wings of a dove, and and that's pr- probably likely too. That's from the song, isn't it? Yeah, there's uh, songs about that. Yeah. Um, but this idea 
I think I've read something just recently that in, in some studies that poor people, people with less means, are actually percentage-wise more generous than some rich people. Not always, although the idea that the rich are stingy isn't true either. They give huge amounts of money to the poor. But um, and I think that get that gets changed. You know, that's something that socialism and Marxism change about people. Poor people today now feel more entitled and they're more willing to sit back and wait for people to give them stuff. And they feel much more angry and entitled than poor people of the time when I was a young man who uh, were often the most generous people around, you see. Well, there's an interesting discussion or description of that in Psalm 68 in verse 13. He says, though you lie down among the sheepfolds, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. It's associated again with valuable things. Uh, but that that's uh, another idea. The, the dove is used... I, after you mentioned wings of dove, I combined wings and doves, and it's used several times in the Old Testament in Psalms. Uh, they they appear together a couple of times. So, Mike, we could spend a whole show studying doves, I guess. Well, yeah, that's every Bible is like that. Uh, someone also, I think John texts it in the story of the two mites. Or here, this poor widow who gave only a little bit was 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 uh, praised because she gave. A tiny bit, which was a proportion of her income, which was far greater than some of the Pharisees who were just doing it to be seen of men. They weren't doing it. They weren't doing it out of benevolence. Their their benevolence was not benevolent. Does that make any sense using the word? They were giving benevolence by putting money in the treasury, but it wasn't really out of a good heart, a benevolent heart of goodwill. It was to be seen of men to make themselves look better. The widow was giving her two who her two cents literally because she wanted to do good. And so she had a benevolent spirit, even though the total amount of her benevolence was very... Um, well, there was, I think there was also an aspect of God had requested her to do this, and she was fulfilling his request. She was honoring what she right. thought he wanted her to do. Right. So that's that's difference in self-aggrandizement, if you will. Right. That, that's, at least, you know, that was the part that struck me. Well, uh, it's an interesting question, but we'll... Uh, we, Appreciate uh, the call, but there is a great importance attached to having a benevolent spirit, and um, it's something I have to work on. In this fact that sometimes when things happen, my my first response is often negative or critical. When um, it's it's better to step back and and try to see if, if there's some good characterization or some other motive that might explain what people are doing differently than the first one, the first one that comes to my mind, a more benevolent expect, uh, a more benevolent explanation. And then on the other hand, Gary, it's not always, some things can't be explained benevolently. They are wicked. Right. The intention was wicked. It needs to be opposed to the nail. Yeah. Okay. So and, that's and just also that side of life too. Dove is not always a good symbol in the old Testament either. In, in Hosea, 7 and 11, Ephraim is also like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt and they go to Assyria. There's a silly dove. So it's yeah, flit, flitting about. Flitting about. So this, uh, the, the, that's, again, the characteristic of the flyer is what's being discussed, not the gentle nature of the dove. Right. Right. 
Uh, when you take what Jesus says, it's just the trouble interpreting figures. People get it all wrong because they don't think through it very well or they don't understand metaphors, it seems. But they, they have picture a little child sitting on Jesus' lap, and he says, unless you become as a little child, you right. cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What do you mean? Silly and, and, and selfish? That's a little child or Children are often whiny, manipulative, selfish, crybabies. Is that the nature? No, he's talking about the innocence of a child and the willingness to love and be loved that a child has, more so than he has the other characteristics. So it's used in several ways in the Old Testament. It's interesting. Uh, maybe uh, maybe, maybe give it a little bit more study. All right. Now, John also texted, and if you love others as yourself, it takes care of all this, which is true, and I'll give an asterisk on that one john loving others as you love yourself and your first impression is well that would mean um that i would when i'm when i'm in trouble i'd like people to give me money so when i see other people in trouble i should give them money is that the proper interpretation well sometimes well sometimes, I, I think sometimes what, what helps people is money sometimes Maybe if somebody really loved me, they'd help me not to get in a position of needing to borrow, borrow money. Well, what was right? it? Jesus <laughs> said, a new commandment I give you that you love each other as I have loved you, right. which was a little bit more. That's more so. than loving as yourself. Yeah. But the fact is, some I always go back to, I say, okay, so define love. People say, we need to help the poor. So I say, okay, I agree with that. Define help. And when you say define what help means, now they got they get confused in their answer. Is helping the poor always about giving them money? Some It is a lot of the time. But truly, right. in the United States, in modern times, helping the poor often does not involve giving them money. Or giving them exactly what they ask exactly for. Exactly what they're asking for. You don't help a teenager by giving them exactly what they ask for. Uh, you help them because you have a good mind toward them. You have a benevolent mind. And you do what is in their best interest for them. And some people aren't even willing to do what's in the other person's best interest because they're so concerned about their own self-interest. And we really get upset when it might involve our wallet. I probably told the story before. There was an old preacher that I, I, I was more contemporary with his son. And he, his son was even a little older than me. But this fellow, James P. Miller, was a, he pre preached all over the United States in the 1950s and 60s. Very famous. And uh, he was a very, very uh, colorful speaker. So I heard him get, say this a couple different times. He liked to preach on the book of Ephesians, Gary. And so he'd talk about this armor of God. And here's what he, here's one of his illustrations. He said, the armor of God. He said, you read that armor and he lists it all off. He said, what you find out is there's nothing to protect the back of a Roman soldier. There's no armor in the back. So if he turned and ran, he had no protection. He said, so the devil, he says, what the devil does with that is the devil sneaks up behind Christians and shoots them in the wallet. And he gets them every time when he shoots them in the wallet. In other words, we're all happy to do things until it involves our wallet. And then we get a little bit tighter with everything, a little bit more negative and critical when we think it's going to involve our wallet. Well, there's one other thing that I think is, is, is educational about that. If Paul is talking about Roman armor, armor which I think he probably is. Uh, what I found when I just, when I did some research on the Roman armor is you, the Roman soldier could not put that armor on by himself. Yeah, he had to have help, help to, to put that armor. Yeah. So, 
Think about that when you're a Christian, thinking about putting on that kind of armor. Well, you got to help other people put you their got, armor on. Yes, that's right. Um, okay, so we appreciate the the call and the and the, the other comments that pe- people sent in by text. If you want to get a hold of the show and call us, seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety one five nine zero, or you can text us as some have been doing today. Seven seven two two six zero six one two zero or seven seven two two six zero six two two zero are the text numbers and you can use those anytime to reach us. Well you could put on part of the armor by yourself. You couldn't put it all on by yourself. There were parts right. of it you had to have help with. I had a story here, Gary, that I thought was interesting. What did I do with it? I laid it out here. Uh, I was gonna talk about Everybody get the idea that we plan these shows out in detail? Uh, well, yeah, we don't, do we? Not exactly, and that's okay. Uh, I got it laying here in front of me. If I can just uh, figure out where I set it in my stack of papers in front of me. And then, um, yeah, for crying out loud, where is that story? Anyway, Uh-oh. it's about a church in Texas. Well, while you were doing that... Uh, going back to the Old Testament, there yeah. was uh, one thing I didn't think we talked about or mentioned. Uh, On our show last week. Yeah, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, he talks about brethren, uh, the fathers passing under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized, all drank, drank the same spiritual drink that was Christ. And then he says in verse 6, now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things. And he goes on and says, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages are come. So Paul himself says there's tremendous value in the Old Testament examples that we see. So they were written for our admonition. And he says, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now we could spend the whole show talking about the ends of the ages, which is often misunderstood, I think, in Christian circles. Right. Uh, that's that's a difficult thing to, to, to look at sometimes. But the Old Testament has tremendous examples in it. The Old Testament a lot ex- explains in pictures what things, uh, what principles in the New Testament look like a lot of times. And so that's, that's its part of its... Uh, value to us. And I just wanted to point that out before before we go further. Give you a little time to find what you were looking for. There's a yeah, I found it. It it uh this is just something from the news. And, and there's a shocker here, Gary. Gary Gary's not read this story. Uh so I didn't send it to him. I got I don't know why, but in any event, there's a little bit of a twist at the end. So bear with me for just a second if you would. There's a it's, this is an article about all the different churches involved in all these transsexual drag queen events, a few of them here and there, anyway. During what was billed as another quote family friendly event, an establishment calling itself the First Christian Church hosted a drag bingo event on September 24th, and um, and July 15th that they had a fashion and drag show billed as a coming out party featuring drag queens. According to their website, the Transparent Closet is a free clothing boutique 
designed for trans and exploring teens, youth, and young adults to have a safe place for clothing needs and beyond. So this church established a clothing closet for transsexual teens and young young people to get clothes. When you come to the closet, you will be welcomed in a free space just for you. Now, if, if you look at this whole thing, and there's all of these videos, you, I can give you the website stuff. There's videos here of um, this whole event and the drag queens and uh, all different kinds of things. And when you get down to the bottom of it, if I can find this here, um, they got tassels for the people. These people have tassels on on their breasts. And I, this is this is scary from a Church of Christ in Texas. Wow. You see, look on Gary's face. Yes. Church of Christ in Texas. And um, if you think that this ideology, based on my body, my choice, free choice, is just limited to super extreme Methodist churches or secular events, you'd be wrong. Of course, these, these that, that's very a, lot, a lot of these churches of Christ out there, you can't look at just a sign. You aren't going to find the true church under some denominational sign. But even if you find one with a Bible name like Church of God or Church of Christ, you got to look further than that to find the true church that's trying to follow the Bible. These churches are just as liberal, just as detached from the word. They've only picked and cherry-picked a few verses that they like. They're so detached from the word that they don't mind um, hosting drag queen events, not just having a ministry to try to help confused young people. I have no problem with the churches trying to help sexually confused young people. That would be something that church could do if they had that situation they were with them or homeless. I have no problem with that. It's not like they're supposed to just throw out people, but they, they need to be presenting a biblical view of this. But the idea here is to help this person transition and then to, quote, unquote, support them. Now, that's a whole different thing. But you'd have to read the whole article. I don't want to get into all that in the time that's left. But this is an insidious doctrine. And I'm glad to see in the last few weeks, at least, that there's some opposition mounting to this transgender ideology. Uh, because, but it, but the bigger problem that exists, it, it's a bigger problem than just transsexualism. Transsexualism is the tip of the spear. It's the tip of the thing. What's really behind it, shoving the spear in, is this ideology that we've accepted as Americans that my choice is all that matters in something. Consent yes. is all that matters. And I get to choose. I am the Lord of my life. I can choose whatever I want. And when I choose it, you have to acknowledge it and accept it and and applaud it. This it's, called, it's a radical kind of individualism. I'm a very much an individualist. I believe that people need to be responsible for their own lives. They need to be responsible for taking care of themselves as much as possible. They need to be responsible for taking care of their family and friends who need help as individuals. They have a right to, to self-determination in the sense that they can choose which career that they're going to follow, which way to work, where to live. I'm an individualist in all those things. I don't believe that state the state should control any of that. 
But there is such a thing as radical individualism that says whatever I choose to do, I can do. And so that's where this phrase, my body, my choice comes from. Well, it, now, they it, don't believe it with regard to vaccine mandates, my body, my choice. Right. But they believe it with regard to killing another human person. But it's, it ranges from homosexuality through abortion to pedophilia. It's all there. My, it's and all polyamory, the whole thing. Polygamy, my body, my choice. And so that radical individualism, which is detached from any concern for anybody else, and especially detached from any concern for a higher law, uh, is is a radical individualism well, that well, I cannot well, here, support. Here, take the last line of this passage from Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. A woman shall not wear anything that pertains to a man, nor shall a man put on a woman's garment for, what's here's the reason, all who do so are an abomination to the Lord your God. Now, that is the Old Testament law, but he didn't limit it when he said all who do so. He didn't limit that to Jews, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Okay? So that if, there's food for thought there, Deuteronomy 22 and 5, relative to this. Now, as a church who proclaims to teach the word of God and to try to understand what is an abomination to the Lord your God, you would think that verse would come into play. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I, that's just my view. Well, it's it's something to consider. And so this it's such a this is such an important part of what young people have been inculcated with. It began in my generation. Weren't we called the me generation by our parents? I know the generation after ours was called the me generation. Then you have the me, me generation. And now you've got this generation, which is so willing to follow its own heart, as we say. That's this follow your heart thing. Not well, do well, what is right, not do your duty, but follow your heart. That they're willing to kill other people to to keep their autonomy. Well, they're not only the me generation, they're the me and you generation, because it's what I think, the me, you have to agree with. Right. Oh, that's all. That's the ultimate. That's the that's the extreme form of of selfishness to force this on other people. And and not only that, but then to try to silence them. Now, I, I'm just telling you, Americans, it's it didn't happen last week. But until there is a massive pushback against this kind of thinking, it's going to get we're worse. in trouble. God is going to judge us very severely for not pushing back against this in, in a strong, clear way. And apparently Americans are content with this kind of lifestyle being promoted to our children who are vulnerable, who do not know the difference. They should be being shown how to live and what's good, what's good for everybody. And uh, I do not believe in persecution of people because of their sexual differences. But I do not believe in approving of sexual immorality uh, either. And my disapproval of that is not a, should not be a crime, which it is now a crime, a hate crime, to disagree with this. So, But until there is massive pushback by ordinary Americans, this is going to continue to get worse and worse and worse. And what is being destroyed sadly enough, are the lives of the people involved. Um, they're, they're going to grow up, for the most part, 
because there's some people there are a few people Gary who are very happy in their misery they're very happy in their immorality but it's just destroying people just destroying people um, I saw a I saw a headline this is a kind of stuff I saw a headline in the uh, Sun Sentinel I get the digital version to read some sports once in a while I'm thinking about getting rid of it it's just so disgusting the Sun Sentinel and and uh, Miami Herald are but anyway the headline on the front page was that um, sex work is behind every motel room door you know in Miami or in Fort Lauderdale and I'm thinking yeah so the Sun Sentinel pushes every kind of immorality and and the legalization of everything that is wicked. So what is the big problem with sex work? It's consensual. Oh, no, it's not. Well, yeah, it is. It's consensual. Does that make it right? So now all of a sudden we're finding out that the Sun Sentinel, the Democrats that run the Sun Sentinel, are now moral uh, guardians to prevent people from having illicit sex. So they're so contradictory. Next thing, next week they'll write an article praising sex workers and how well a legitimate line of work that is. Well, you can't have a sex worker without having a John, you know, back and forth. Uh, so what, what's the problem with there being sex workers behind motel room doors? Do they, would they, are they saying they want it out in the open? That may be what they want. I, I don't know. I didn't read the whole article. It happened this morning. It, it's um, it, it's. It's a discouraging thing to read about. When you, 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 you got movements all over the world going on now, Gary, where they've made attempts in many of these countries, like Germany, to legalize prostitution some years ago. I read an article this week about it. And uh, the, it's, the title was Germany is Europe's Bordello. There are a few million sex workers in Germany, and they're really worried about all this in Europe for the World Cup. That's over that and, 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 and that was there a few years ago, I should say. It's now in Qatar. That's probably why I brought this all up. And they're 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 interviewing all these sex workers. What a terrible life they have, how exploited they are, blah, 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 blah. And yet the same newspapers, the same journalists would go hysterical if you and I said it should be illegal or it should it's an evil thing. If we called it immoral and and, and to either go to a prostitute or to be one they would just come down on our heads like a ton of bricks and yet they're decrying the results of this activity they're acting like it's a bad thing which is it please tell us which one you think it is good or bad evil or not evil it, it, it's sorry gary i'm on uh, a, i'm rats. on a rant gary well, Swamy, no, i'm on no, one of my no, rants I'm, I'm just thinking the, the hypocrisy of it all is evident to anyone who wants to see it and, and God criticizes hypocrisy everywhere he turn, everywhere you turn in Scripture. So, you know, it's it's basically the evidence of things around us that are going on. In my view, you want you just want to do whatever you want to do, and it whatever you want to do it happens to be one thing See, one day and something else. And something they else. don't want their daughters to grow up to be prostitutes. But they're willing to let other people's daughters do that. They'll be yeah. sheltered by their money and their affluence from any of the harm they think. But the real reason they don't want to say anything bad about it is because they know that if I say that prostitution is a bad thing, then they're going to wonder, well, what else do you think is wrong? 
and I'm going to have to eventually draw a line. They don't want to draw the line. They want to be liberal journalists. You know, We don't want to draw the line anywhere. Well, there is a line that needs to be drawn. You and I can draw the line differently, but there are lines that need to be drawn, and these kind of, of destructive sexual things are an important line. But you got to go back to the 60s with free love, and you begin to see how it all breaks down, and you cannot stop it. They make fun of the slippery slope now, Gary, but that's because they're sliding down so fast they can't even tell they're on a slope. Well, are they going so fast they're afraid they're going to get hurt when right. they crash? There is a slippery slope, and it's real, and we're sliding right well, down it. Well, see, this this is what – maybe I got time for one short well, story here. Three minutes left. Okay. Here. I, I was watching a really famous news channel that I watch a lot uh, with a relatively well-known uh, journalist doing the show. And this journalist was lamenting about pedophilia becoming uh, – more and more to the front of being okay, if you will. Maybe they haven't stepped out and said pedophilia is okay, but it's coming. And she's lamenting is, how did we get here? How did we come to the point? We got here when we said it was okay to commit fornication. It wasn't, even, it wasn't a problem. Well, That's I'm, how we got I'm, here. I'm screaming at the set. It got here in part, at least, because you said homosexuality was okay. Well, before that. You Are said heterosexual that, sex was okay, okay with anybody you wanted to commit. Or with. you said just living together was okay. To your children. Right. Um, once you did that, you started down that path, and you wondered how we got here. You started it. Well, I can tell you where, where the pedophilia comes in now. It's real simple. Is and It's it's right in front of your nose. And this is gonna, you're going to see this play out real fast in the next few years, if, if even that long. If, if young people as young as four years old can give consent that they want to do a sex change, they can certainly give consent to have sex with somebody that they want to have sex with. Oh, but they're being manipulated. Yeah, I know. That's my point about the four-year-olds and the body changes. They're being manipulated, too. All these young people are being manipulated by other people to have, to, to have sex transition surgeries. And if they can give consent to that, they can certainly give consent to having sex with an older person. And well, so there's no there the logically there is no argument against that there's no stopping that once you tout how important and impressive you are how how modern you are that young people can give consent and we have important people in major medical institutions saying that four year olds have a right to determine what sex they're going to be or they certainly have a right to have sex with whoever they want to then too. Am I wrong? How can I be wrong about that? Well, I, I don't see how I could be wrong about that. Well, the pendulum will swing when all of these four-year-olds grow up and realize what kind of a mistake they've made. Yes, that's right. That well, and unfortunately, it'll be it's too late for many of them then. Yes. That's starting to happen now, by the way, a little bit more detransitioners. Well, our time is gone today for the show. We appreciate you calling Sorry in. Sorry about the rants. But uh, yeah, I got somehow I was nice and calm when I got here, but it didn't work out that way. But we appreciate you calling. Today and texting and your participation in the show very much. Hope you'll tune in again next week. We'd like to invite you to take a look at, at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. You'll find a list there of sermons and of our radio shows. You can read the recordings, get the podcasts of those, other information about the church. You'll also find that we meet at 10 o'clock this morning for a Bible study for all ages and 11 o'clock for our worship with preaching and communion prayer and then at 7.30 on Wednesday night. Other activities are going on that you can find out about there on the website, so take a look at that. We'd like to invite you to come and be with us. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, 
1-800-242-2196, Southwest Savannah Boulevard. May God bless you and keep you until next week. Tune in again then. Thank you very much. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church. WPSL Port St. Lucie.